post-vote roasts and toasts. This week, we'll be breaking down the election results and talking about what it means and how wrong our predictions were. Plus, a couple newly elected officials resigned, a couple of bridges got updates, and we'll have councillor introductions by the councillors themselves. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 153. We do not have the mayor on this episode. That was last week, if you missed it. Go back in your podcast app and tune in. This week, we will be breaking down that little thing that happened, the election. Time to see if our predictions were accurate or not. Maybe celebrate a little bit those that are no longer with us and uh, learn a little bit more about the people who have joined us. All that, of course, after the rapid fire segment. Edmonton Centre Liberal MP Randy Boissonneau has found a home in Trudeau's cabinet as the new tourism minister. This is a significant win for Edmonton, which now has a current seat at the cabinet table and a former minister as mayor. And as fate would have it, the two have collided in Boissonneau's first act as tourism minister, setting up Conservative Member of Parliament Tim Upple for his first visit to Edmonton next spring. Said the new Liberal Minister, quote, Tourism is all about connecting people with new experiences. And for my colleague Tim, no experience could be more new to him than visiting Edmonton. In a ballot initiative during the recent municipal election, Albertans voted to fall back once again this November. The last time we changed our clocks in 2019, when we set them back four years, it worked out so well that we just cannot help but do that some more. Built in 1935, the Spanish-style El Mirador has bid its final adios with demolition now underway. The former residents who have started up a Facebook group chat may find a reprieve in Mark Zuckerberg's new metaverse, however. With the aid of virtual reality and augmentation, they may once again walk through their building, or at least a fake surface-level approximation of it which coincidentally is the closest we're going to get to a truly democratic election ever again, once again, thanks to Facebook. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and this episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. It offers internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local business. He walks the talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares its profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill, like the CKUA radio network. Visit parkpower.ca slash CKUA to find out more. Mac, I want to start this episode not talking about the winners of the election, but instead talking about the losers. Because with close to 100 people running for an election where at most 13 can win, there's going to be a lot of losers. Now, I speak as a former loser and in the eyes of many who follow me on Twitter, a current loser in many things. I feel for the people who have lost. I will say to the friends of the people who have lost. Don't try and convince them to run again. Don't run for public <laughs> office. <laughs> what uh, what advice would you have for those folks, Troy, to get over their, you know, the, the, the pain of losing this election? I think the primary piece of advice I have is don't listen to people who try to spin this into a positive. Uh, the people who say, <laughs> oh, but you can run again, or oh, but you learned so much. Sure, all of that might be true, but just sit in your loss for a little bit. You can't make the feeling, the gut punch in your stomach of you had fewer votes than you have friends. 
some of the people betrayed you. That Those feelings are going <laughs> to stick around for a while. Live with it a little bit. Learn to get over it. It'll take a while. People think you recover much faster than I believe you actually do. But it is now four and a half years after my loss. And I'm fine. I'm fine. So You're fine. A ringing <laughs> endorsement for getting over the loss if there ever was one. If you <laughs> want to aspire to be as good as Troy Pavlik, well, oh boy, you've got a bright future ahead of you. So I feel like I've made it worse, Mac. <laughs> well, let me say thank you to everyone who put their name forward. I know I'm not supposed to be building them up here, Troy, but we wouldn't have much of an election if everyone was acclaimed. So I appreciate the fact that uh, 87 or 85 or whatever it was uh, Brave Souls put their names on the ballot for council. If everyone was claimed, we would have what the Edmontonians call a Catholic school board election. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, I want to just start before we get into the election breakdowns, some of the fallout from the previous election. Days, day, actually, not days, day after getting sworn in as a trustee, Carla Smiley has resigned from the Edmonton Catholic School District, and we have no idea why. Yeah, she's uh, announced at that first board meeting that she's resigning and the the board put out a statement that night on Twitter and basically said, we wish Carla Smiley well. And I guess that's the end of that. They don't know what they're going to do yet for a by-election or how they're going to take that forward. But presumably they have to do something to fill that seat. For no reason whatsoever, I was reading the Local Authorities Election Act last night. And specifically with a school board election, it appears to be up to the education minister as to whether a by-election needs to be called or to leave the seat vacant. Ah. Uh, the school board itself can give recommendations. And I think that's why we saw in the statement from Edmonton Catholic Schools, it said something to the effect of, we will be determining the best next steps to ensure this ward has representation. And we saw some of that uh, in the Edmonton Public School Board when we had a high-profile resignation with about a year to go to the election, and they decided, we're not going to have a by-election. We're just going to wait out to the election. And the education minister rubber-stamped that decision. The serve at the pleasure of the province is really, really true in this case. It appears to be. The Catholic School Board isn't the only place that had sort of like inexplicable immediate resignation. We also had Sturgeon County with a councillor-elect resigning there immediately after winning. Yeah, Ron Shaw, who won uh, the county's Division 6 with 305 votes against his opponent's 241, was about to be sworn in, and the day before the swearing-in ceremony announced that he was going to uh, resign his position. He cited personal reasons and said, quote, the timing was just not right. I don't have an answer to why either of these counselors did it, but in that I was reading the Local Authorities Election Act last night, I did find an interesting tidbit that in order to be qualified as a candidate, so to meet the criteria to run for nomination, you have to intend to hold the office should you win. I'm just speculating here. These immediate resignations, is it possible these people ran without intending to hold the office? And if so, can we prosecute them under the <laughs> Local Authorities Election Act for malicious campaigning? Or malicious acclamation in the case of Carlos Smiley? I mean, good luck proving that they didn't intend to hold the office. What does it uh, prescribe in terms of penalties? If you <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Okay. Um, so <laughs> guilt, I guess, is the only thing. Probably not a real path to take. Um, I want to talk about 
people that actually decided to continue to hold the office mm-hmm. because there was an Edmonton City Council election that we followed pretty closely for the past year, very long year, and it is finally done. Dare I say it, we have a pretty historic Edmonton Council. More women than men on this council, as I'm sure you've read ad nauseum. More people of color on council than we've ever had before. These are great signs, and it's a really significant change that not only did Mike Nichols' block get soundly defeated, but they got defeated with this vibrant, diverse, very different looking city council. It's amazing. Uh, turnout was a little bit up in this election, 37.6%. Uh, it's higher than the 30-ish, 31% that we've previously had, but not to the heights that we've seen uh, in other hotly contested mayoral races where it's reached up to the 40, 42%. I think the last time we got to over 40 was uh, Stephen Mandel's first run at the mayor's chair. So I mean, 37% is, I guess, good for Edmonton, but it's pretty bad still overall. Bring on online voting. Mac, we're both software developers. <laughs> and no, hard no to that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the council that got elected. Uh, we did some predictions, and I think I'm happy to say that we were very wrong in a lot of cases. The ones that we got correct, of course, Mayor Sohi in Dene, Aaron Paquette got reelected in Garheo, Karen Tang won. In Métis, Ashley Salvador, in Nakota Isga, Andrew Knack, and Pahaswin, Tim Cartmel, who, interestingly enough, I went through, Tim Cartmel winning his 81% of the vote, mm-hmm. 81 or 82, is the most resonating election win since uh, Brian Anderson back in 2013, also in Ward 9 area, uh, where Brian Anderson managed to eke out an 83% of the vote. A very resounding win for Tim Cartmel. And then finally, the other one we got correct was C.P. Winnewak uh, with Sarah, ha- Sarah Hamilton winning there. So I think we were safely 7 for 13, Troy. And I think you could charitably say maybe that we got 9 right or so because we were kind of waffling on some of those other positions. Uh, one other thing about Cartmel, not only was he such an over uh, overwhelming victory in that ward, but he had more votes than most of the mayoral candidates. Like he is one of the most voted for people in this election on the mayoral race, by the way, we did get the top three correct in order. So that's a win for us. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the things that we both got wrong and surprised us in some way. So in Anurnik, Aaron Rutherford defeated Bev Esslinger. Yeah, this was the second closest race of the night. There's only uh, 244 votes or something like that separating them. Uh, we did talk about Aaron Rutherford, of course, in our uh, in our predictions, but we thought the incumbent advantage here with Bev Essinger would be so strong that she had it in the bag. And uh, it was close, but in the end, Aaron came out on top. Speaking of close, E.P. Kokanee Piozzi, I feel for Rhiannon Hoyle in this race. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was I was standing Glennis a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I I'd known Glennis Lieb from a lot of her work, especially with Ismus, and you know, I said she'd be a very good choice. I think it's reasonable that I might have convinced thirty three people to vote for Glennis instead of Hoyle when they're on the fence. And oh boy, does that have to sting? Thirty three votes was the difference between Jennifer Rice, the winner, and Rhiannon Hoyle. I know. It's like if we had put out a couple more tweets, anybody had put out a couple more tweets, could we have swayed some voters? It's just incredibly close in this ward. And uh, Rhiannon Hoyle 
very close to being our first black councillor, member of city council ever. So there was uh, lots of discussion about uh, about that as well. We had a number of strong black candidates in this election, and unfortunately, none of them were elected. But Rhiannon Hoyle and E.P. Cook and E.P. Yotze, very close, 33 votes. Jennifer Rice, of course, herself a woman of color, which yep, pretty equally historic on uh, Edmonton City Council. Uh, I'd say that Jennifer Rice is the first, but, you know... Is it a race between her and Karen Tang, who both won on the same night? I guess Karen Tang's was called a bit earlier, so maybe Karen gets that accolade. Oh, Damon, uh, we were unsure about this one. We, I think, were feeling like this might be one of the hardest of all of the ra- uh, ward races to call. Uh, and in the end, Ann Stevenson came out on top there. And I was shocked at how far back Tony Caterina was. He finished fifth. Fifth. I wasn't shocked, okay? At the start of this election and throughout the most of this election, I said Tony Caterino was like a seventh place candidate. I didn't think he would break like a thousand votes. And all of you <laughs> political people on Twitter bullied me into thinking that Tony Caterino would do better than he should have. And he did not. So congratulations, Tony Caterino. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> to Ann Stevenson. Yes. Papa Steo, Michael Jans took it. I had predicted Michael Jans, but Mm -hmm. it was pretty handy win. Michael walked away with a full 40% of the vote. He nearly doubled his nearest competitor, Susan Field, in terms of votes. Yeah, I really thought this ward would have been closer. This is maybe the one example in the selection of where that sort of incumbent advantage that we were thinking about might have made a difference here. You basically, you know, you said he was basically an incumbent, right? Having served uh, a large part of that area as a school board trustee, he had good name recognition. So in the end, it wasn't as close as we thought it might be. No incumbent advantage for Joanne Wright, who unseated Mobanga in Spomitapi? Yes. Can we cheer this now? Can we can we get excited about this? <laughs> <laughs> she's new to us, but clearly she's got a connection with the community there and uh, resonated with people when she was, you know, doing her thing campaigning cuz uh, she was able to unseat Mobanga. Who finished who finished third? Not second, but third. I want to talk a little bit about this, but first we'll give the last result um <laughs> friend of the podcast, John D from the former Ward 3. He was defeated Karen Principe took the election win over in Tastawiniwak. I, I mean, to say I'm surprised by this, not, not really. Karen Principe did very well in the previous election, and John D. only managed to eke out a win over her, both her and Dave Loken. It was a very much a three-way race. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I thought Northside Hub, good Facebook group. I thought John D. had it, and he did not. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Karen Principe and her victory here. But I mean, John D hitched his wagon to the Mike Nickel horse and it didn't get out of the stable. Uh, so when we look back at the 21st century, there have only been three incumbents that have lost when they ran. And one of those was a mayoral incumbent. So in terms of councillors, only two incumbent councillors have ever lost. There was Mike Nickel, who lost to Don Iveson when he ran as a councillor. And there was Dave Loken, who lost to John D. Just in this election, four incumbents fell. I wonder, when you look at the incumbents that fell, you know, we exist in this COVID microcosm where the rules have been thrown out. And all of the incumbents that fell were people who, you know, were vaguely hitched to Mike Nickel, who was a toxic asset. There were people who voted against the mask mandate back in uh, the summer. 
I don't know to what extent this is a strong rebuke of those actions. I don't know to what extent this signals that Edmonton's culture of, you know, incumbency being a strength might be fading. But it's a perplexing result, and it's a historic result, to be sure. I think we shouldn't, or we should be careful not to put Bev Essinger inside that same group of folks. I mean, I don't think I would align her with Mike Nickel on on very much. She was an incumbent who was defeated in this election. So there's got to be something different there. And uh, we're recording this now, you know, whatever, a couple of weeks after, 10 days after the election. And, you know, you saw lots of reporting about the irony of Bev doing so much work uh, behind the scenes or whatever to try and get more women elected. And she loses her seat on council to a woman and to one of eight women on council, which is is very exciting to have uh, so many women on council. And uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. Unfortunate for Bev that it had to mean that she's no longer on council for that. Yes, sure. I have said in the past on this podcast, though, that I think uh, mask mandates are very much a woman's issue. Yes. Bev was one of the counselors who voted to remove the mask mandate in the city of Edmonton. Yep, that's true. Irony or just poignancy? I'm not sure which it is. Could be a bit of both. Yeah. We've got a slew of new counselors. Eight are new faces to Edmonton City Council. Maybe not new to city politics, but at least new counselors. And one thing we want to do on this podcast is introduce you to all of these people. And the way we've decided to do that is by letting them introduce themselves to you. So you're not the mayor, unfortunately, uh, counselors, so you don't get a whole episode yet. Um, but we are, uh, over the next number of episodes, going to be bringing you uh, an introduction to each of the counselors. So very short segment, we're going to hear a little bit about them, who they are, what makes them tick, and then uh, an issue that's important to them or something that they want to work on over this next year. And it's fun for us because we've been able to talk to them right at the beginning. They're still in learning mode. They haven't voted on anything really yet. You know, green pastures ahead, blue skies. And so we'll we'll get to hear from them now. And then we'll get to talk all about the terrible decisions they make <laughs> over the next four years as we pay close attention, or ideally, all of the amazing things that they make happen on council and how they follow through with their agendas. So as of recording this, we have uh, six counselors who have already recorded their segments with us. We have more over the coming weeks, and we will be putting one or two of them into each of the upcoming episodes, and it will be drawn simply by a random dice roll. So we'll see who shows up at the end of this episode. I don't quite know yet. We want to follow up on a couple of items, and they're both bridge-related items. The Wem Pedestrian Bridge has been a long-running item on this podcast. It was the very first teaser episode of this podcast when the bridge got demolished. And as of now, the city of Edmonton has begun construction on its replacement, which should be due to be finished in nine months, I believe. It says construction will take nine months. They've closed a lane of 170th Street to do this. They've got a bypass set up that'll be closed periodically. So nine months... You know, doesn't sound too long, but as you pointed out in the pre-show, it's actually nine months plus three years. <laughs> Less than nine months and three years is the Ada Boulevard bridge fixes. Uh, this is the bridge that we talked about in a previous episode where it was made safe for vehicle traffic, which meant it was made unsafe. And the city of Edmonton has confirmed that there will be a railing installed on the bridge and there is temporary fencing installed right now in the interim. Did you see the picture of the fencing? 
<laughs> it's very funny. You know, it's didn't they just lean a bunch of metal fences against the concrete? Like it looked, it looked almost worse than actually not having anything there at all. I don't know. Let me paint a picture, dear listener. Imagine that blue construction fencing that you see around every construction site. The stuff that links together. Now imagine that was leaned up against a, you know, it's probably got an angle of 17, 18 degrees, a concrete slab that only goes up about knee high. So how is that fencing going to stay there? Well, I'll tell you how. They had some scaffolding and two by fours sort of like hammered in on the other side, securing this leaning fence over the edge of this precarious Ada Boulevard bridge. You know, honestly, Mac, is this the 1% for public art on the Ada Boulevard Bridge? <laughs> this is the art, I guess. Yes. It's performance art. I couldn't believe that railing. Anyway, the good news is they're going to get a permanent railing here. That's all we have time for on this episode. But before we leave you with the closing, don't close your podcast app. I have metrics on how many of you do that. Stay to the end. And you're not going to want to miss the end because we're going to have two random counselor segments. Which one will they be? I don't know. I'll be rolling uh, D6 in the edit bay. So I guess we'll find out together. The next counselor we want to introduce is uh, one who, you know, has been very close to my circles. Uh, I ran against her in 2017 in Ward 11. I had previously flouted that, well, I have a podcast and she doesn't, but she also has a podcast, the Otherwise podcast that we have plugged on Speaking Municipally before. And she is now the counselor in Garhale. Karen Tang, congratulations on your win and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, Choi, I think it's really funny you say you ran against me because you know, <laughs> okay. right? Like that's really unfair because I think we were all running against the incumbent. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to say 567 votes was not a meaningful contribution to the election, but uh, very gracious of you not to say that's that. That's very, very kind of you, Karen. Okay. So for the listener who uh, is not in your ward, maybe doesn't know about your history as, uh, as well as Troy does, can you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so my name is Karen. Uh, I was elected to represent Ward Garejio in the southeast. Uh, this is a new ward that includes, you know, essentially 50% of former Ward 11 and then uh, formerly Ward 12. And this is my second time running. And like Choi said, you know, we were in the same race in the 2017 election. Uh, I didn't win, but I came in a strong second and, and you know, been preparing for that for years. And here, here we are now. Uh, I moved out to Edmonton a number of years ago to study public health. And so that's my background. That's my career. And um, I wanted to bring that experience and that lens to the table. I'm a mom, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm raising my little one, uh, kind of bring her along on the campaign trail and uh, having to work front lines with families and communities for a very long time. Uh, I've spent some time in policy with both provincial and city governments uh, in, you know, public health, health promotion and urban wellness. And so, you know, part of the big reason why, you know, I ran back in 2017 and again, 2021 is because I wanted to be a stronger, more effective bridge between people and the decisions made at the table. So let's talk a bit about those decisions that are going to be made. You're obviously a new counselor. What's something that you want to focus on, either a tentpole issue for your term or something that you want to tackle first? What's an issue that's top of your mind? Yeah, you know, when we developed our platform, which, you know, I was very, I know I am very proud of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't just, you know, one person putting a bunch of ideas down on paper, you know, it was developed over time. And for sure, I, I have some of my own ideas. Um, but, you know, this was really developed in partnership with a lot of conversations 
conversations. Um, some of which, you know, was kind of in motion for the last few years, but really uh, since last November 2020, we've held a series of, you know, virtual conversations, kind of like our coffee parties, but, you know, under COVID conditions uh, with residents uh, predominantly, but also community leaders and industry leaders um, and came up with, you know, three pillars, 11 priorities, 37 points. And I will say what was a very clarifying moment on the campaign trail was just the frequency in which one of those priorities really came to the top. And I will say, if anything, that would be my most immediate uh, priority, which is mobility and transit. Um, and, you know, when I talk about this kind of putting the people back uh, in decision making, which is was a big value of my campaign running these people-centered, uh, you know, running a very people-centered campaign. What I really mean by that is we had to think about the people's stories. You know, what I heard at the door, it was a resounding, you know, negative impact of so much of the, whether it's the bus network we design, whether it's the RRT, the negative impact disproportionately affected seniors. And I have so many stories about the various routes that seniors have to take now to get from their house to the mall, which where they enjoy their quality of life and that's where they find you know, their daily rhythm, newcomers, um, the lower income families, students in particular, uh, those in communities south of the Hende, um, who are still, you know, being bused into the mature neighborhoods because there is such an issue with school capacity, a lack of high school. Um, and these are folks who don't have a car, who some of them have issues with mobility. They can't really bike anywhere either or walk anywhere. Um, and I just want to be able to kind of continuously bring those voices forward, those experiences forward. Forward, um, when it comes to this issue of mobility and transit. In the Taproot survey on the bus network redesign, you indicated that the city should have taken money from something else to increase frequency and maintain coverage. I've got to say, it's the correct answer to that question. But where is it coming from? What, what's some of the ideas you have? Because obviously, in order to improve this service to seniors, to people in the ward, we need additional funding for the transit system. Where do you expect that money might come from this term? You know, I will, first of all, I will just, just comment on your survey. You know, while I'm very glad many, many people used it, and I've certainly met people at the door who said, you know what, you don't need to talk to me. I did the survey. We align. You got my vote. Move on, which is great. Uh, I didn't, I did not enjoy it. And I thought it was so technical that average Edmontonian is very difficult to even answer some of those questions. I'm sure you've gotten lots of feedback about how little nuance. 21,000 people did. <laughs> 21,000 people found a way to respond. Yes. But you know, it, it certainly didn't offer a whole lot of nuances. Um, I don't have an answer to that, Choi. You know, I don't, I don't really know. And I think it's hard to say where I'm going to take the money from without looking at the entire picture, without looking at kind of, you know, the long-term plan um, for where we plan on, you know, providing some of those, um, where we plan on spending some of that money. But, you know, certainly some of the, the gaps I've also seen and maybe opportunities, I don't know, uh, you know, in this war, there is no uh, on-demand service. Uh, and I think that might co help cover off some of the gaps, um, you know, because of some of the neighborhoods are, are, are so new, it's, you know, perhaps, you know, some of that conversation will be underway. I don't know. Um, but I just feel like, you know, what is whatever is currently happening um, is not working. And to continue on with some of those status quo, um, my, it's, it's just, you know, we're not meeting people's needs and we're not really meeting where they're at. Um, so, you know, quite frankly, no, I haven't thought uh, the, the mechanics of it. Um, but, you know, I just think we can do better. You also haven't yet been sworn in so 
you're excused. You you have time to read the city budget over the next term. Um, thank you so much for talking with us, Karen. And uh, I'm sure we'll be very excited to cover you over the next four years. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for that update, Karen Tang. Before we get to our next counselor, let's read this ad. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Is This For Real, a podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first episode of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, host Omar Salafu explores anti-black racism and policing and tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca, and you can also support the work of these podcasters in future seasons on Patreon. Ashley Salvador won Ward May T this time around. Uh, she is a longtime contributor at City Hall, uh, an urban planner, and you know her from such hits on the podcast as Garage Suites, Parking Minimums, and just general accolades. And we're very excited to see her win. And I think the best way to introduce someone to Ashley is to let her do it herself. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. And congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. In your own words and not my words, who is Ashley? Why should we care that Ashley Salvador just won an election? Well, your words were pretty good, but uh, I can build on that. <laughs> so um, I am an urban planner. Uh, also have a background in environmental sustainability and sociology. Um, as you mentioned, garden suites are a uh, pretty big piece in my world for the last few years. I'm the founder of Yeg Garden Suites, which is a local nonprofit here in Edmonton. It's really devoted to helping homeowners through the process of building backyard homes. Uh, so we work with a lot of seniors who are trying to downsize, age in place. Also, you know, as a form of infill, uh, putting on my environmental hat, we just can't continue sprawling outwards. So gently adding density in that manner has been a big focus of mine. Um, and yeah, you kind of alluded to it, but I do have a lot of experience around City Hall so I have worked with the current council and admin from uh, an advocacy capacity. So um, being able to push on different rules and regulations um, in uh, in collaboration with community is something that I've been doing for, yeah, better, better half of the last decade now, I guess. So you have a lot of knowledge about how these things work, uh, and now you're ready to actually employ that knowledge. So what is the big issue that you want to focus on over the next four years, or maybe the first big issue that you want to focus on? What are you going to put your energy into most? So that one big issue that I really want to push on is the city plan. And um, I think that's going to be or, or should be a focus for um, for most counselors. Uh, it is basically our plan to get to a population of 2 million. Um, it's about building a healthy, urban, more climate resilient city. And uh, it's our municipal development plan. So it kind of guides our, our work for the next, uh, next few years, actually decades, really. And within that plan, you know, it's obviously a, a number of different realms, but building an inclusive and compassionate city is incredibly important to me. And that's embedded in the plan. So uh, making sure our, our more vulnerable and marginalized community members are taken care of. Um, investing in permanent supportive housing is something that I talked a lot about throughout our campaign and want to carry that forward. Another, another realm is around climate change. So making sure our city is sustainable, climate resilient and really greener as we grow. And a big piece of that work is going to be through the energy transition strategy. Uh, so the city already has a plan in place to get us to a low carbon city. Now we're at the point where we need to do it. We need to implement it. 
Um, and then there's a whole land use piece that's really fundamental to the city plan as well. So creating um, what, what are referred to as 15-minute communities. So that's the idea that you should be able to either walk, bike, or take transit to everything you need within about 15 minutes of your house. And of course, that's re- going to require that we have conversations about how we can densify our neighborhoods, how we can introduce more mixed use, uh, how we can have functional and viable public and active transit so people can get around in ways that work for them. So I know this is sounding like a lot, but I'm a very much a holistic thinker. I, I didn't talk too, too much about my background, but I have worked in, in the housing and homelessness space as well. I've worked with seniors, multiculturalism, economic development. So it's really about bringing all of those things together and serving with that holistic capacity. So I want to talk a little bit more about the 15-minute communities that you just talked about, that you said, you know, communities that you can walk, bike, or take transit in in 15 minutes. And there's been a little bit of disagreement on the past council and administration about what a 15-minute community means, and more specifically, does it include personal vehicle use? Uh, I noticed you didn't include personal vehicle use in your definition of the 15-minute city. Mm -hmm. Going forward in your interpretation of the city plan, do you want to build communities that are 15 minutes inclusive of by car? Um, So I would draw... (laughs) Uh, I draw the line at at public transit. So I think uh, being able to walk, bike, roll, um, or take public transit is my, I guess, conception of 15-minute communities. Um, You know, it's not only about quality of life, but it's also about creating a city that's more efficient. Um, And for a long time, for, for decades, Edmonton has spread itself very thin. You know, we have sprawled outwards quite endlessly, and that has real fiscal impacts as well. So the the more we spread, the more infrastructure we're building at the fringes. Um, it costs a lot to maintain all that infrastructure. So if we're able to be more efficient with the way that we're growing, not only are we going to create these you know more healthy, vibrant, um, livable communities, but we're going to be in a better place financially as well. Thanks to the two councillors for uh, joining us and introducing themselves. We'll have many more of those in the upcoming weeks. And in order to hear them, you'll have to tune in. Hit that subscribe button in whatever your podcast player you're using. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.